This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 26. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, what to do when you've terminated a deposition in progress, perhaps because you believed it was being conducted in a bad faith, harassing, embarrassing, or oppressive manner, but then you immediately decide you were wrong or you've just changed your mind and decide you can finish it. Well, according to a January 13, 2021 decision out of the Southern District of California, the answer is offer to resume it immediately. If you're doing it in person, go right back in. If you're participating by video, log back in. Notify the other participating lawyers and the court reporter and get right back to it. That's the best way to minimize or even entirely avoid sanctions. A deponent and his lawyer did exactly that in the case after a contentious deposition in a contentious case, and the federal judge credited both the deponent and his lawyer for doing so. In ruling on the examining lawyer's motion for sanctions based in part on the unilateral termination of the deposition by the deponent, the court awarded no monetary sanctions and merely ordered the deponent to return for another hour of testimony, which would take it to the presumptive seven-hour time limit under Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30D and nothing further. All right, so let's talk about the details. During the June 29, 2020 deposition, which had apparently been in progress for about six hours, the examining lawyer handed the deponent a document that the deponent apparently felt had not been properly disclosed prior to the deposition. So in very short order, the deponent, who happens to be an experienced and skilled litigator himself, declares, quote, and so I will terminate the deposition, Rule 30D3, and we would like to take this up in front of Judge Skomal because you should not have this document in your possession and you're in big trouble. So let's end on that note since we're done with your exhibits. Does that sound good, David? Referring to his counsel. At least in the heat of the moment, there appeared to be a belief that the document presented to the deponent was forged or perhaps that it should have been produced earlier and so there was allegedly a discovery violation. We see from the transcript that was filed with the court that the deponent terminated his video connection about 4.40 p.m. that day and the deposition itself was concluded at 4.47 p.m., about seven minutes later, after additional conversation between the lawyers. Simple enough, because everybody was appearing remotely, so nobody had to get in their car and drive away. But that wasn't the end of it. In papers filed by the deponent's counsel in opposition to the motion for sanctions, we learned that the deponent's lawyer reached out to the examining lawyer by email at 4.56 p.m., just nine minutes after the end of the deposition. And in that email, he says, in essence, I've talked to my client and he's ready to come back either immediately, we can do it this afternoon or this evening, or he can come back in the next week for additional testimony, but he's ready to go. The opposition papers filed in opposition to the motion for sanctions also inform us that the examining lawyer declined the offer at that moment to resume the deposition, saying that he believed he had everything needed with respect to the document that sparked the deponent's exit. All right, so... Then the deponent's lawyer writes back again by email and says, okay, fair enough. If there's nothing else you can think of at the moment, then the departure of the deponent had no impact on the testimony. But if that isn't the case and you want to ask more questions, he'll come back. Now, the deponent's lawyer makes a good point in his paper saying that, look, everyone in this deposition was participating by video and working remotely, including the court reporter and the videographer. So everyone could have immediately reconnected at that moment or later that evening or as offered later that week. Anyway, the examining lawyer declined that offer to resume the deposition and instead filed a motion for sanctions 
based on the unilateral termination. The motion for sanctions sought an order requiring the deponent to A, resume the deposition at the deponent's expense, uh, meaning the cost of the court reporting services in the original transcript, and to pay for the cost of the terminated deposition, which was about $3,300. So what did the federal judge have to say about all of this after the motion and the response and the reply were filed? Well, first, the judge points out that sanctions under Rule 30D against someone who frustrates or impedes or delays a deposition are discretionary. So the facts, the details, they make a difference. And on the facts here, according to the judge, sanctions were not warranted. The judge says that although the deponent should not have terminated the deposition under the circumstances, and that doing so was not substantially justified, that's invoking the language of the rule relating to the award of fees, the judge says that's not where this situation ends. He points out that given the relatively short duration between when the deposition ended and when the deponent's lawyer offered to resume the deposition, judge says, this ultimately ended up being something more comparable to a simple recess. Judge points out that about 10 minutes after the deposition ended, the deponent, through his own lawyer, offered to resume the deposition immediately or later in the week. And the judge says it's significant that the examining lawyer declined that offer. So the judge says, in essence, instead of the parties completing the deposition as offered, now I'm issuing another order on a discovery dispute between the same parties and this one is asking the court to order something, the resumption of the deposition, that the deponent already offered to do before the issue was even raised with the court. So the judge says, under these unique and perplexing circumstances, an award of expenses is unjust because the deposition was only minimally impacted by the conduct. So no sanctions under 30D2, and the court says, really, the only thing the deponent had to do was to complete his deposition within the next few weeks limited to one hour in duration, which is the remainder of the uh, presumptive seven-hour time limit under the rules. I should also point out something else that may have contributed to the judge's decision not to award sanctions. In the order, it appeared to me the court didn't particularly like the fact that the motion for sanctions said that, quote, later that afternoon, close quote, the deponent's counsel offered to resume the deposition. But the motion didn't specifically mention that it was actually nine or ten minutes later. So the court says, well, the characterization of later in the afternoon is probably technically correct because nine or 10 minutes later in the afternoon is nine or 10 minutes later than earlier. The judge says, well, this language suggests or implied a different timeline. The court also seemed to take issue with the fact that the motion for sanctions didn't get into detail about the offer to resume the deposition immediately or later in the week and didn't address why that wouldn't be sufficient as opposed to more motion practice before the court. So with some quick thinking here by the deponent and his counsel, after perhaps an unnecessarily hasty departure from the deposition, sanctions were completely avoided by trying to resolve the matter fully to make the examining lawyer whole through the immediate resumption of the deposition. All right, before we wrap up, some practical takeaways. If you're in a situation where you prematurely terminated a deposition and you change your mind, do what the lawyer did here. Immediately contact the other participating lawyers and inform them that you're ready to go back into the deposition. Let the court reporter and videographer know as well that the deposition may immediately resume and ask them to sit tight. If they are participating remotely, not a big deal. Next, take a breath, clear your head, get back in there. Same thing with the witness if you're defending. If the 
Witness demanded that the deposition stop. Take a few minutes and help your deponent recover. The mistake that too many litigators make in a heated situation in the middle of a deposition is that they assume that once they walk out, that the problem can't be immediately fixed and it's now in the hands of the judge. But it isn't. It's still in your hands. Especially during a time when we are all still chiefly appearing remotely, it's easier than ever to immediately resume a deposition when things have heated up and somebody's walked out. Look, the only real relief a judge can order apart from monetary sanctions is that the deposition resume. So you and your opposing numbers can do exactly what the judge can do, but faster and without unnecessarily involving the judge, who's probably got a lot better things to do. So at that point, it's still in our hands, not the court's. So if you've walked out in a situation and now you think you've blown it, no, you haven't. Fix it immediately. And document the fact that you're trying to put it back together because that documentation will be your insurance as it was here when the opposing lawyer tries to paint you as deserving of sanctions. Now, of course, if whatever caused you or your deponent to leave is something where you feel like you just can't get things back together, well, then you can't do it. But that's rare. Take a breath, clear your head, and get back in there. It's not a lost cause by any means. And before walking out, consider some of the alternatives. If a document's been presented to your deponent that you and the deponent has never seen before, even if it's a discovery violation, insist on a break so that you have time to discuss the document with your witness, and maybe at that point make a judgment call about what to do. Or reach agreement with the opposing lawyer not to answer questions about the document at the moment until the witness has time to review it on a break and reflect. Reach agreement with the opposing lawyer not to answer questions about the document until the end of the deposition. And if needed, call the judge during a break. I don't encourage the involvement of judges as a matter of course. Too often we hear lawyers say, well, let's get the judge on the phone. Not usually a good idea unless there is truly something that the lawyers simply cannot resolve themselves. But at least it's an option. It doesn't require you to leave the deposition. And here's my last point before we wrap up. Problems like the one that surfaced in this case can usually be avoided if you're going to be defending the deponent by properly preparing the witness before the deposition starts. Surprise documents or surprise lines of question are hardly unusual in depositions. So your deponent shouldn't be caught off guard by the presentation of something they've never seen before. They need to be prepared for that possibility. Happens all the time. Happens more often with some lawyers than others. If you've run your deponent through a realistic practice examination that matches the style and reputation of the opposing lawyer, your deponent should never be caught off guard in a situation like this. I spent quite a bit of time in the third edition of the book, 10,000 Depositions Later, talking about how to bulletproof your witnesses. It's not difficult. It takes a little bit of time, but it can easily be done. And it's got to include two things. One is a discussion with your deponent about what lawyers do in depositions consistently and predictably to catch witnesses off guard. And secondly, you've got to include a sample examination, not a sugar-coated one, not one where we compliment the deponent on how smart and how bright they are because the deponent is the person that's going to pay our bills, a tough one, a realistic one, one that makes the deponent squirm. I understand that especially on the defense side, lawyers are sometimes a little squeamish about aggressively pressing a senior executive in a mock deposition about embarrassing or sensitive topics that the lawyers know are going to come up in the deposition. In that kind of setting, your practice or your mock examination of your deponent has to be as tough or tougher than the actual examination. 
Now, in my specialized line of work, the field I practice in, I frequently run into the same lawyers over and over, even though they typically practice in other states and fly in to represent their clients in my depositions. I see the same lawyers from Atlanta, New York, Chicago, Washington, wherever, and I know their styles so I can mimic those styles perfectly in my deposition preparations so that when we get into the depositions, there are no surprises. Whatever the lawyers are ready to throw at my deponents, we're ready. All right, before we wrap up, let me point out that the case we discussed today is a pending lawsuit being actively litigated by the parties and lawyers involved. The ultimate outcome, of course, remains to be determined. But we report on actively litigated cases in the episodes titled Lessons from the Front Lines, so you can see deposition-related disputes being fought in the courts right now, how bright lawyers are fighting them right now, and how judges are ruling on them right now. There's real value in being able to see, as a spectator, how others are currently litigating these issues so that you'll be better informed when a similar dispute lands in your lap. Okay, once again, thanks for listening. And be sure to check out the third edition of 10,000 Depositions Later on Amazon and just about everywhere books are sold.